there and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. And this is your host, Laura Camacho. Super happy to have you here. Happy New Year. I hope that you had a great holiday season and I hope you're excited to be here too. If you're new to our amazing community, congratulations. It's a great group. I love it so much. We have conversations about conversations as as part of our work here. But last year, I made a pivot with the Speak Up podcast in that I no longer talk primarily to communications professionals. I still do. There's a lot of interesting communication professionals out there, and I love polishing my own communication skills. That's the lifetime job, as you probably have realized. But I think that's kind of boring, right? That we don't want to be talking to communications people all the time, as interesting as we are, right? And so last year, I brought in some different guests, like a reality television producer, a luxury coach, an improv person. And there were some other non-communications people that I thought made really interesting conversations that we can learn from. Because really, what are we about? We're about learning, learning from the best. And what I like is bringing to you people You know, they may not be household names like Oprah or Obama or Beyonce. I mean, all the people that are in the press all the time. But there's so many very interesting people who are not household names, but they know a lot. And they're often more interesting than, you know, the celebrities that we tend to be so crazy about. And so for me, each person that I bring you is like a hidden jewel. Like I found this super interesting, successful person in this area. Let's learn from this person and have a good, entertaining conversation. That's what it's about. So we have conversations here where we learn about different jobs that people do, jobs that people create. We had a social editor last year, somebody whose specialty is covering the galas in Austin, Texas. And today we have another different, unusual person. His name is John Jeffrey. He's from Austin, Texas. And he has set up his own company. He's an entrepreneur and an investor. So maybe we'll learn some investment tips and maybe we'll make like a boatload of money this year from what we learn about investing, right? This guy has a luxury home construction business. So we're going to get the inside scoop on what's going on. So maybe one of you will start a luxury home business or build a luxury home. Who knows? Speak Up with Laura Camacho is where we learn inside information about the most interesting areas. So we're going to welcome John Jeffrey, and I'm so glad you're here. If there is a guest that you think would be interesting, please let me know. And another thing that I keep getting pushed on, people are telling me that I should make it video. So I would love to know, do you think so? Send me an email, hello at speakupwithlaura.com. Do you think we should do a video? Do you think we should get on YouTube? I mean, we're number two in the world for communication skills. Number one is this dude at Stanford. He's got Stanford University. Versus Mixonian Institute, which is what's behind the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. So if you have ideas, 
please let me know. And if you want to thank me for bringing you this amazing content, leave a podcast review. Go to iTunes, scroll down to the bottom. It says leave a review, click five stars and say life-changing content. Thank you, Laura. That's all you have to do. I would really appreciate that. And without further ado, I'm going to bring you our guest, John Joffrey. So, John, you are a builder, entrepreneur, investor, and most people listening are work for corporate America, although there's some business owners out there. Didn't you kind of start with more of a conventional career path? Weren't you planning to go to law school and then you decided to get into the hard hat business? Tell us about that journey, please. Yeah. So I don't have any construction in my background. No one in my family is in building. I didn't go to school for it. I did undergrad at Rice University. I played football there and I did political science. Let's not lie. Football helped me get in. There's a lot smarter people there than me. But I always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a litigator. So I was kind of planning on like doing some time. Like I did um, internships with like the district attorneys, the public defenders. I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. I think ultimately I would have probably went out on my own. But I went through law school. I graduated. And actually, right when I graduated college, let me back up, is when I started law school and then I also started a real estate investment company in Houston. So we were buying houses in 2012 for about $30,000, $35,000 a pop. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely insane. If I had a crystal ball, I would have sold my soul and, and bought hundreds <laughs> of them. So anyways, I mean, we did well, though. One of my teammates from Rice went on with me. He's a finance guy. So he did like all the numbers. I played the general contractor piece just because I thought that was most interesting. And we had a mentor who owns like, you know, multiple hundreds of houses. He manages like thousands of doors. And basically we'd buy these houses for like 30, 35,000, put in 10 to 15 K and then we'd rent them out on section eight, which is welfare okay. for about a thousand to 1300 a month. So a $55,000 house you're getting $1,300 a month. And now here's the kicker. So now those houses are worth 350000 right? Oh my gosh. So it's like, it's just amazing to like keep all the wheels going. I didn't know anything about general contracting, but with our mentor, we had some help. And, you know, one house would have a bad foundation, we'd fix it. The next one had a bad roof. The next one needed new wiring. So it was actually crazy. Like I didn't even anticipate this was my education into the building world. So then we did about 10 of them and I was like, Hey, I kind of know what I'm doing. So then I bought my first personal home, remodeled it. And it's a very, very high performing short-term rental for me mm -hmm. um, in Houston now. Oh, and then that, that just expanded my mind. That was like my first more upscale job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was where I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. This is incredible. That's so interesting because it's different from political science. Like I can't very. imagine anything more different. Absolutely. <laughs> well, there's a people listening that make really good income. And what if they're thinking about investing in real estate? It's not 2012 anymore, obviously. Do you think real estate investing is still a good play? Oh, absolutely. I, I still do a ton of investing. And, and honestly, everything is relative, right? We're talking about 35000 in hindsight. We remember thinking like, man, these are kind of overpriced for what they were. <laughs> 
right? So it's like, anytime you get into the market, you feel like you're getting into the top, but you're really right here. Now, a few years go by, the top is up here, right? Okay. We just bought like two years ago during COVID, we just bought a 24 unit apartment complex for 550K. Mm -hmm. Complete pile of junk. We fixed it up, renting it out. It's amazing, right? So honestly, I know this is tough because- Interest rates are high. The economy is not doing great. People are tight with money, but we have gone on a absolute buying spree. The best deals that I have seen in the past five to seven years, you know, we're buying properties that were $3 million just last summer for a million and a half, right? Oh, wow. so there's always points in time where if you know your market, mm-hmm. you don't have to know the whole market, know a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Know what homes are trading for, and you'll find that one. You're like, wow, this is categorically lower mm-hmm. than most of these homes. It's always going to be there. You got to wait sometimes. You got to stalk. You got to be persistent, you know, and just know that the fear of missing out is the worst motivation to get into a deal with. Okay. Because there will be another one coming. That's uh, what absolutely. And for frame of reference, I do development in Austin now too. So okay. we're doing three to $10 million homes development wise. Okay. But if you want to get started in investing, buy the cheapest, crappiest house you can, mm-hmm. put as little money into it and rent it out and don't lose money. Okay. You will learn such an incredible amount of information just from one single project. I'm writing notes. Don't don't lose money. Cheapest, oh. crappiest house. Invest the least amount. Of, don't do a Martha Stewart or a, a what is it? The Joanna Gaines. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, folks, how's that for some investment advice on real estate? And you know, sometimes to me, the stock market feels weird. Like it feels manipulated. Or yeah, and know? it's not tangible. That's what always no. bothered me. Is like. You can buy, you own a piece of this land. You own Mm -hmm. the home. There is tangibility there. And then you'll be so surprised. You rent it out. Even if you're just positive, let's say 500 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a massive win. Then a few more years go by and then you start gaining equity in the house. Mm -hmm. And now you can start borrowing against your house if you should so fit, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Well, I am taking notes. All right. So, How did you go from dealing at the low end of the market? Because what you're known for now is the luxury home business, right? So how how was that transition? Okay. So like I said, I did my first personal home. And this is also insane too. I bought it in 2013 for 330K. Mm -hmm. My mortgage, taxes, insurance, everything is about $2,200 to $2,500 a month. It's a six-bedroom house. I packed nine beds into it. And it rents for an average of twelve to eighteen thousand a month on Airbnb. Oh my gosh! But who rents that kind of massive groups of people, like sixteen to eighteen people? Because split eleven hundred a night among sixteen, it's less than a freaking Holiday Inn. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So, what I did was I just went crazy. I felt like I overdid it. I put TVs in every room. I paid artists to do these beautiful murals and I bought all this cool furniture. And like, I was just like, you know what, if if I build it, they're going to come. Then basically what happened was, is I was studying for the bar. I got my real estate license because my partner, he was playing in the NFL at the time. He 
was too busy. I was seeing properties, blah, blah, blah. But I got an email, like a spam email Mm -hmm. from this big luxury real estate firm in Austin. Mm -hmm. We're expanding to Houston. We want you to be our team leader, 200K a year, all this stuff. So I call, I'm like, what's up with this? They were like, oh no, we're going to start you as an inside sales agent and just commission. I'm like, you know what? Never mind. Screw that. They're like, oh, whoa, why? And I'm like, well, I'm a general contractor. I just finished law school. I'm renting my house out on Airbnb, blah, blah, blah. And basically, I ended up meeting the owner, had an opportunity to be the CEO of this startup home building like development company in Austin. And I was like, you know what? I love general contracting and building so much. I'm going to go and take it. I could always take the bar, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I come to Austin. We buy up all these properties. This was in 2017. We have some huge money backing us, like multi, multi multi-millionaires. I had 10% of the company. I was the CEO. I felt on top of the world. And then at the end of 17, the market hit a plateau. They were like, we think the Austin market's going to crash. We're selling out of everything. So I basically go back to square one. I'm without a job. I just bought a house here in Austin that was like double the price of my Houston house for half the size. My six month old, my wife are here. So then I'm just like, man, this is like, I'm not stopping this. So then I started Revent Builds. Oh, okay. Okay. So you just took the money that you had and started building luxury homes. Like, Well, basically what happened was, is all this development stuff I was doing, I was posting it on social media and friends would contact me, Hey, come do my kitchen or my bathroom. And I'm like, we're not set up for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a developer. I don't have time for it. Blah, blah, blah. I called every single one of those people back. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think my first job was like a master bath remodel for like 10 or $15,000. And for frame of reference, our master baths probably start at like 130 now. (laughs) So it's like... It's just crazy how it's like evolved. Okay, crazy enough. My first project with a development company was a commercial quadplex, four different permits. Houston has like no permitting. It's like a two-week process. Austin is absolutely absurd. So I'm like, you know what? I did freaking tax law. I can figure out the Austin code. I get a crash course on the Austin code. I meet my plumber, my welder, my electrician, my framer, my HVAC guy. They're all still with me today. Wow. It was like, I could not have had like a better intro to Austin. I was basically like an expert in like a year just from doing that one project. That is so cool. And I love how your law degree must have served you so many times, right? Just being able to plunge into the details, actually knowing law, like what a secret weapon, right? Yeah. And honestly, like a really big part of it is like a lot of my very high end clients, they are like very articulate. They're very intelligent. They're CEOs, they're lawyers, they're doctors. So there's like just a sense of being on the same level. There's big negotiations that happen. And like the contracting is so, so vital So not only are some of my best friends doing all my contracting and legal work, but I'm able to craft this stuff in a creative way to not back myself into a corner. Give me an example of that. Like pre-construction services agreements. Very rarely do contractors use this, you know, the whole free estimate. What I do is I charge a retainer, like a lawyer, Mm -hmm. to get them. I'm like, I'm your consultant in the beginning. I'm evaluating if... I even want to work with you, you know? Wow. Yeah. And you're evaluating if you want to work with me. I tell people it's like, we're dating, but obviously 
my main goal is to get them to the full contract. But there's just so much work that goes into this in the beginning. It's like a mini test run. It's like, here, see how good I am. Like while I'm doing all this consulting and I put this together, hopefully you'll fall in love with me. And then I get a taste for how it is working with you. And it's like, you get them putting money down, you get them serious at the very beginning, and it sets up expectations for the whole job. So they're covering your upfront costs. I mean, yeah, I mean, it costs a ton of time. Well, which is also money. Yeah, but but like tons of time. There's just legwork. It's really me consulting. There's so much work. Like this whole process is front loaded. So another thing too is like how we take our draws and payments and just how we word, you know, we do a very unique payment structure to where we're never, ever footing the bill for anything. We're always ahead of it with the client. We have a perfect track record. Like we don't have one bad review. We just deliver. We just give clients exactly what they bargained for because it's also about, like I said, setting those expectations and being like, look, I am in control of this process. Mm -hmm. If you want this to be efficient and go well, you have to play in the system that I've created. If you don't want to pay for pre-construction services, we're not a good fit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's just like, you don't value my time. You don't care, right? If you're not going to pay 50% of the job up front, it's not going to work because I buy every single material on day one. I buy all of the windows, the doors, the tile, the flooring, the countertops, the cabinets. If you wait, there's price escalations with all the different vendors. There might be long lead times. Like Mm -hmm. I'd rather have something waiting for me than me get to a stage where I need cabinets and they're not ready. right? Right. So are you the most expensive contractor in Austin now? Honestly, there are people that are crazy expensive, that have a lot more of like a pedigree than me, that have just been around forever. And they've just garnered like a name for themselves. We're obviously working toward that. The other thing is we're more like a SWAT team. I do not want to be like a big, massive company. Our overhead is pretty low for like the revenue that we do. And I just try to stay mobile. And it's still good where we're making profit. Wow, wow, wow. This is so interesting. Because I think even though you're not talking to a construction audience, everybody here is probably a homeowner. I know a lot of people that are listening are thinking about or have considered investing in real estate because it seems like such a good alternative or diversification. And for us to kind of get an inside view of the construction business. Right. So what are the current trends? Like what should people know if anybody here wants to build a home in 2024? Like what, what are the trends? What would you advise them to have the best experience? Well, honestly, if you've never done it before, you need to lean on professionals. I have seen so many people that think they can save a ton of money by subbing these things out. Oh, I'm just going to call the concrete company and do it myself. I'll call the framers. Just like anything, I'm not going to go and start trading stocks at a high level when I've never done it before. Right, right. right. That is a recipe for disaster. That's where people that I meet, they've sunk hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars into a losing project. The contractor's gone. And it's like, look, you would have saved 500K if you just came to me in the first place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I would say first step, rely on a professional. I would also say interior designers and architects are your best friend. Don't go and try to design this whole house yourself. Mm -hmm. You want to design it with people that know these trends. They're ever changing. You want to be like a step in front, but not too far forward. 
right? Right, right, And you want to be classic, but also pushing the boundaries. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just a very, very tough thing. And I'm very design savvy for a builder. I like a certain aesthetic and we Mm -hmm. do some really cool stuff, but I'm always relying on those designers and the architects to really help put this together, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing is interior design is something that I see. And earlier in my career, I used to do jobs without it. It's a disaster. We have designers that will send us a spreadsheet with 250 cells of all the information for the job. So that's the thing that people don't see. There's so, so much legwork. You both have full-time jobs. You Mm -hmm. have children. You're going to just take longer and it's going to be so much more expensive than if you just coughed up that money to get a designer to do all that legwork in the beginning. Because here's how I explain it to people. Front load the process. Let's build an excellent coloring book with the structural engineer, the architect, the designer, so that all I have to do is color in the book mm-hmm, mm-hmm, on the back end. I right. don't have to imagine we know exactly what your kitchen's supposed to look like. If I have a cabinet that's in the wrong spot in the picture, there's right. something wrong. Right, right, right. Take all the assumptions out of it. Yeah. But I think on your side, that requires courage. Because that's not normal from what I understand. I mean, usually people are just looking, like you said, does it kind of, well, my friend here is an electrician. Oh, and No, God, it. that's awful. And that's where like, I tell people like, look, if you're hiring me to consult you, I am going to tell you many things you do not want to hear and you might not be ready for. I'm taking this very seriously. And I'll tell you like, look, this, you're setting yourself up for failure. I actually will not do it this way. Oh, we have a friend that does paint. We want to hire him because he's, nope, every single person needs to be under my umbrella because when I handle all the means of production, all you do is go through me. It's like a concierge, right? And, and I am so bluntly honest with people that it can cause some friction in the beginning. This is what, when I really made a turn, when I was earlier in my career, I wanted to be a yes man. I wanted to deliver for my clients. But sometimes you let them put you in a lose-lose situation. Right, right. You don't need a yes man. They need the right man. Honesty is the best policy. Absolutely. And that's why I'm just going to take a minute to pull this out. I mean, forget about home building. Anything is why I teach the mindset of being the trusted advisor. Because you know stuff and you need to be guiding your client, your audience, your executive, your stakeholder with your experience, the best you know. And a lot of times you're going to have to tell them things they don't want to hear. Nobody wants broccoli if they can have ice cream, right? We all want ice cream. And let's back up. When you know the information and you're a guided advisor, if you're not telling them those things, you are fraudulently misguiding someone. You're not just like, I look at it as fraud because I'm preying upon someone with less knowledge. Mm -hmm. That'd be like a lawyer. You don't think of a lawyer and a builder having like, you know, this is someone's freedom. This is someone's house. But think about it. That is the biggest investment that 99% of people in this world will make. And if I am not giving you the most accurate information that I know to be true. Yes. Well, the thing is that the people that come to me, they feel intimidated because they're talking to C-suite executive who supposedly knows so much, but they don't know everything that you know, right? No, no. You're a very successful person in your lane. Right. You have thousands of people that are underneath you. But right. in fact, we are partners right now. 
And I tell people, this is a marriage. It's the most intimate thing. I'm in your home. I'm in your business. You are giving me a ton of money. There's so much vulnerability. Mm -hmm. But that's why my most high functioning, like uber successful clients absolutely love us. Because I have no qualms about an awkward situation of like, look, you're just not understanding. Like, this is how it works. You have to pay this to get this or, or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just very, very direct. Mm -hmm. And I think people that can understand that they don't need to know construction, but then they'll really actually trust me. Right. But give me an example. Give me an example. Again, I think the down payments that we do, this is always a big obstacle. Okay. And people will say, you know what? We're just going to pay as stages go on. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, you're not because you want me to get it done in this timeline. Mm-hmm. Now you just made that impossible. What I literally tell people is I'm like, I need you to know that the faster I get this done, the more money I make. Mm-hmm. Our interests are aligned. Right. So I cannot let you be an obstacle in getting your project across the finish line. And I said the same thing. I'm like, you know, yeah, I could literally take all your money and walk, but I have a reputation. I have a business. I, I have a brick and mortar. Like, I don't make any money on those first payments. I'm only making it on the back end of the project. So things like that, there's other things where very uncomfortable situations where clients, and I understand why, they want to show up every day. They want to be up all of our guys' butts, looking (laughs) over their shoulder, this this line doesn't match up, or, you know, is this finished? I'm like, listen, you can't come on site. Oh, really? This is my job site now. This is how uncomfortable it is. I'm sorry, but this is my insurance. This is my job site. I have it locked off. So you need to schedule a meeting with me when we're going to walk through because now you have all these side telephone conversations. Oh, can you do this? And then the nice painter's like, sure, sure, we'll handle that. And I'm like, no, you cannot talk to any of my people. You can say hi and bye. But like, <laughs> imagine you're telling someone that it's their house that they can't show up in their own house. <laughs> That's, but it's yeah. like, let me work. And right. then get what? Every single time when it's done, this little thing they were worried about or this grout joint, I'm like, let us finish. They go, oh my God, John, you are so right. That looks amazing. And I'm like, yeah, we could have done it six weeks ago if you weren't showing up every freaking day. <laughs> Wow. But I love that taking charge, being proactive, way beyond steroids, just like massively taking control based on your experience. Tell us about your work with blue collar leaders and your leadership and why that's important, why it interests you. I'm really interested in that. Okay. So honestly, I think the easiest parallel is athletics, right? It's like you're a team, you're grinding it out every day, blood, sweat, and tears for a common goal. So like being on the job site with these guys, they're the salt of the earth. And I'm telling you, every single one of them, all of the horrible horror stories you hear, there's another side of that where someone was being way too cheap or someone was not letting someone finish their job or, you know, there are crooks out there, right? Don't get me wrong. But in my experience, you can take someone that isn't very skilled or a team of guys. And if you manage them the right way, you can get some crazy results. And basically what I do is I'm on site. I don't speak Spanish. I'm horrible at it, but I try my best. And I know that I sound stupid, but I'm like, I'm trying to make people feel comfortable just greeting them, 
saying hi and bye, just like learning their culture, learning about them and their families, knowing I know everyone's name on the job site, down to the guy that pushes the broom. Because when you say good morning, X name, Mm -hmm. their face lights up. Right. Right. You just want to feel like you're on the same side. I Mm -hmm. hate the like, you know, like the service mentality. And this is a big part of American culture where like, you just pretend like the bus boy doesn't exist. Right, right, right. It's horrible because what I do is I thank all of them. And I say, you know what? I could not do this without you. Of course, I could find someone else, but I'm in the same boat. You are providing a vital service for me. And you will see that these men, when they feel part of the team, Mm -hmm. when they feel compensated adequately, even if you're busting their ass on their quality, Mm -hmm. I tell them, look, give me a price for perfection. I'm not going to argue with it as long as it's reasonable, but (laughs) give me a price for perfection because I'm going to be very, very hard on you. And they do it with a smile. Oh, oh, yeah. Sorry, we missed that. We'll come back. The warranties are great. People want to work for you. The biggest validation is like when you get invited to like their kid's birthday party. Oh, yes. That's awesome. Yeah. And you feel like you're really part of a team. I will say there are a lot of obstacles of becoming too friendly. You Mm -hmm. have to ride the line of like, look, I love you. But when you're screwing up, you, you can't be afraid to go there and be direct, like I said before, Mm -hmm. because there's always people that they get a little too fat and happy. They -hmm. start charging you prices that kind of don't make sense historically. Mm -hmm. Never turn a blind eye to that stuff. That's always possible. You might have to recenter, regroup, or you're like, hey, here's another bid. And they are 20,000 less than you. Like, I'm going to give you a chance, but if not, I got to check them out, right? Yeah. So it's just a very fine line. It's looking at these guys they're subcontractors, but it's kind of the same as an employer-employee relationship. Well, I mean, all the companies are using subcontractors in some form or another, and those are negotiations that need to take place, standards, accountability, all of that. But I think the point you're making is that you can achieve excellence if you ask for it and then trust but verify. (laughs) Absolutely. And as you get better in your career and you learn more, you can start cutting out some of the trades, like if you're hiring another GC to just sub that job out, you're paying triple. Right. So then once you get good, you can find subcontractors that actually do the steel work. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to line you out on all of this. Mm-hmm. It takes a little more man hours, mm-hmm. but that's where you can start getting crafty and saving some money. I think mm-hmm. earlier in your career, finding some very good, reputable people is not a bad move, mm-hmm. but they're always going to be more expensive. Mm-hmm. And so you're like finding the gems, like the people that aren't, yes. no, don't have as much experience, but they're willing to learn and they learn fast. Yeah. That's And they're extremely trustworthy and they're just so eager. And they're like, you know what? Throw me in any situation. I'll find a way to do it. And you're like, we're in this together. Yes. You know? that, I love that. You know, that partnering with people yeah. is, is so important. Tell us about the build camp. Okay. So let me just say this is a construction incubator because most of the people listening to this are in tech and they know all about incubators. So let's let's hear about a construction incubator. Yeah. So I built this standout house called the Modern Victorian. I don't know if you saw it. No, no. It went like super viral. It got like 30 million views online. Whoa. It became a topic all across the nation from a very, very aggressively designed forward thinking home that I built. I must have toured that house 
with people that were just interested 400 times. I'm not even kidding you. But you Telling built every- this house? You built yes, it? I built it. Yes. I think um, that maybe I have seen it. So it's called the Modern Victorian. Yeah. If you Google even Victorian home, it's on the first page of Google. Okay. Which is funny because it's not Victorian. It's modern Victorian. But anyways, <laughs> so I gave a tour of that house probably, you know, hundreds of times and I'd show everyone every single detail mm-hmm. and I break it down in these like elementary forms and people were just fascinated. I'm like, look, this looks complex, but this is three separate pieces, right? This, this, and that. And here's how they work together. Let me back up a little. About a year and a half ago, I hired a full-time videographer content creator. We film every single thing we do. So like we're finding so many people on social media that are just interested in construction or, hey, I want to do my own project and I want to learn a little bit. So then I had the idea, I just put on my Instagram story, who would be interested in a construction camp where I give you key contacts my personalized build schedule. I outline every single step of construction and I have on-site meetings at every step of the way, every important part. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Massive amount of response that people wanted to do it. So then I was like, okay, how would you feel about a thousand dollars? I had a hundred people sign up. Whoa, good for you. A hundred people for one of our builds. Wow. And so like in the same way, I'm going to give the same 400 tours that I gave at the Modern Victorian, but I'm going to do it for someone that's paying where I take it a little more seriously because I'm putting together lectures and I'm putting together these course materials. But then there's two things that happen. I become known as an educator in the space or someone with more knowledge. Yeah. So many of these people are realtors. They're just promoting my project, which I'm going to put for <laughs> later the whole time. Right. And then lastly, all of these people just like passing on the knowledge. You want to do your own project see how it's really done. You want to get into building, check this out, see if it is or isn't for you. So like, there's just that aspect of plainly just sharing knowledge. You know, this is how you beat the crooks out there. Like I freaking hate those people. So I'm trying to arm people with some knowledge to vet out your next contractor or something of that nature. Right. I love that. And so I would say to our audience that throughout this fascinating conversation, John is shared so many examples where he has really tapped into his creative part of our brain, which we all have, by doing things differently, doing things that weren't common, that weren't practiced before. And yet again, his latest iteration is to build a learning experience where he's building something, which he was going to do anyway, but leveraging it. But it's also establishing John as a thought leader in his industry. And I know a lot of you listening to this, hello, you know what you need to know to be a thought leader, but you're not recognized as that because you don't have the visibility. So think about what can you create where you teach other people to be as amazing as you are while doing your day-to-day job. So before we end, I want to tell everybody that I brought my authentic vinyl cowboy hat to the interview, but I couldn't wear it because my headphones <laughs> made it not fit. But... I, I definitely appreciated it. Yeah, John was very you're, impressed. You're a certified Texan now. <laughs> right. So what else? I mean, make our mark, be thought leaders, be more successful, communicate better. Any closing thoughts and how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I would just first say that Everyone wants to make it like in their mind that these obstacles are outside of us. We are our biggest obstacle. 
I knew nothing about this industry when I started it. Just from tenacity, being a people person, and an eagerness to learn, and screwing it up so many times along the way that I get to where I am. So like my big thing is don't you ever say, oh, he's built different than I am. He has something that I don't. Elon Musk is just way smarter than me. I could never do that. And it's like, yes, he's very smart, but we're all good at something. So if you want to break out of the monotony, go and do something new, like just simply do it. Taking those steps is the most terrifying thing there is. And it's like, all you have to do is go out, fall on your face and just get back up and just keep moving forward. Even if you're just inching forward, we all have pluses and minuses and strengths and weaknesses. Just go and do it. And in a year, you'll look back and you'll be somewhere where you could have just been waiting the whole time at the start and never begun. Love that. Yeah. And I know a lot of the reason why people come to this podcast is we're, you know, we're tend to be more on the introvert side and we think, well, John's obviously a a flaming extrovert. I'm not like that. I can't do that. But to your point, if you are an introvert and the people skills are super indispensable, but you can just be smarter about. Let me also piggyback on that. I partner with those types of people. I partner with brilliant people that are behind the scenes that can make sure that I'm staying in my lane. You put me anywhere, I will blow it up. But if you put me in the wrong area, I'll go too far in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. So I put people like exactly like you're describing. They're introverts. They're data people. They're just extremely smart, more conservative. So like maybe if that's you, you just need to find that other piece, that that person that's hungry, that's a builder, that has the persona that you're looking for, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and a lot of my investors are those people. They're in tech. They have a lot of money. They don't know anything about building, but they damn sure know how to run numbers. That's right. You know? That's right. So that's I rely right. on a lot of those types of people. That's right. So what is your Instagram handle? Uh, my Instagram is John Joff. So that's J-O-H-N-G-I-O-F underscore builds. One last thing. If you want some information, we do a bunch of how to's and break down the building process on our YouTube, which is just my name, John Joffrey, J-O-H-N-G-I-O-F-F-R-E. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay. I'll put that in the show notes. This has been fascinating. I'm wishing everybody a very prosperous new year. I want you to take what you've learned from John and I want you to figure out a plan to go make more money this year because you need it because inflation is something serious. And as always, you're welcome. Thank you so much. 